Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Colossians chapter number three. And uh, we've been talking about how we as believers uh, should be acting towards one another And I don't know about you, but man, I have been getting worked over uh, by the Word of God. And it kind of reminds me of working with Chuck Norris. You know, uh, you know the one office supply you should never ask Chuck Norris to see? His three-hole punch, right? Some of you guys will get that later on, but uh, anyways. Um, You know... As we've been looking at these things uh, throughout Scripture, uh, Paul is really trying to stress how important the relationships are within the body of Christ, because that's the whole context of uh, Colossians 3 that we've been looking at here. And you know, we we often romanticize of how cool it it must have been to be part of that first century church, right? Like, man, can you imagine? This is awesome. We we're there, we're hearing the apostles' words, a first-hand account, you know, the, we just got a letter from Paul, and we're listening to all this stuff, and boy, wouldn't that be awesome? But, uh, you know, the things that Paul talks about, about relationships and how we're supposed to be acting towards one another, that was a reality uh, in their life as well, and, you know, they didn't have the option if they got upset at one another that they just say, oh, well, fine then, we're going to go to another church. They didn't have that opportunity. Uh, they had to learn how to get along, and they had to learn how to apply Scripture to their life and actually live these things out. And that's what Paul is calling us to do as well. Um, you know, here in the uh, American uh, Christianity that we have, uh, we have a buffet of churches that you can choose from, really. And, uh, you know, if you don't like it here, well, you can go down the road and go over there. And, boy, if you don't like it there, well, you can just pack up and go someplace else. And really what ends up happening is uh, we no longer form the relationships that are necessary for us to edify one another. And so it's so important that uh, we are working through things in our lives with other individuals uh, so that way we can have that unity in the body. And last week we spoke about this love and how love is really the the supreme virtue that uh, we are supposed to be putting on. And, uh, you know, love is really the most important virtue. And as we discussed last week, biblical love is not this like touchy, feely, ooey, gooey, gushy, oh, I love you, we all love each other, right? Um, Love is an action. Love is the ability to be able to speak truth in people's lives for their good, to help and edify them to become mature in Jesus Christ. And that's what we want, right? We all want maturity in the body. That's what we ought to be striving for. And, uh, you know, we we saw that uh, that love is best described and put on display in what we see in and through the gospel of how God has loved us who were his enemies and forgave us uh, without anything in return. And that's exactly how we are supposed to love one another and treat one another. Now this next verse that we're going to be looking at today in verse 15 really picks up right on the heels of verse 14. 
Uh, in a practical way, you can almost kind of say, well, how are we going to actually live out love practically? And Paul kind of puts that into perspective for us uh, with verse number 15. And he shows us how that biblical love works in the church. And so he moves beyond our lives as individuals and then starts looking at our relationships with one another. And he does this by telling us that we are to allow Christ, peace to rule in our hearts. All of that is possible as we obey God's word and we put on love. So I got to ask this question to myself, and hopefully you'll ask this question to yourself as well. Is the peace of Christ ruling in your heart? Does it have its full rule in your hearts? How do you know? How will you recognize that it is? And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Let Christ's peace reign in your hearts and be gracious to each other. So let's take note here of our text, verse number 15. Paul says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So what is the peace of Christ? Well, that word peace here in the New Testament means really the absence of conflict, tranquility, serenity. In the Old Testament, the word for peace is the word shalom, peace to you, right? Blessings upon you, peace to you. But what is this peace implied here that Paul is talking about? Paul calls it the peace of Christ. In fact, that phrase there is very unique phrase in the New Testament. We find several places where we hear about the peace of God, right? Uh, for example, Romans 1.7, 1 Corinthians 1.3, Galatians uh, 1.3, and also Ephesians 1.2. That's usually one of the uh, ways that Paul introduces his, uh, his greetings uh, to the churches. Peace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But here Paul specifically says, not the peace of God, but he says the peace of Christ. So we must take note here of that since it's a unique phrase. So what is Paul talking about? Well, two specific areas must be considered when we're talking about the peace of Christ. First and foremost, we have peace in a relationship to God that is described in the term justification. In other words, it is through the accomplishment of our Lord in bearing the judgment of God against us that we now have peace with God. This is a peace that is a gift through Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are no longer enemies of God, but His children. We are no longer under divine judgment, under His wrath, right? That's what Jesus taught. He said, those that do not have the Son, He says, they are already abiding under the wrath of God. So those that do not know Christ, they are already under the wrath of God. And then eventually they will 
face the wrath of God in a place called the lake of fire. And so what has Christ done? He has taken God's wrath for us on the cross. Christ bore our sin that uh, we have done and the judgment that we so rightfully deserve. Christ has taken that upon himself. And because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we have now been justified in God's sight through the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so do you have this peace? Do you know Christ? I didn't ask you if you attend church. I didn't ask you if you can sing Christian songs or quote some Bible verses. I'm asking you, do you have the peace of God that only comes through knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior? You see, it's impossible to have peace with God without Christ. And it's also impossible to have peace with others without Christ, because again, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And so if you don't know Christ, there's no possible way that you can actually be peaceful with individuals. Oh sure, you might be you know, friendly and cordial, but is that really peace? No. And so you have to know Christ in order to have peace with God. And you have to know Christ in order to have peace with other individuals. So if you don't know Christ, you don't have his peace. Secondly, we must think of Christ in his person. Now you're already here in the book of Colossians. Turn with me over to the book of Ephesians. Uh, so work your way backwards here. So uh, you're here, Colossians, uh, Philippians, if you're working backwards. And then you come to the book of Ephesians. And look with me at Ephesians chapter number 2. And uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 13 through 18 here. And I want you to see this peace here that is at work in Christ as his person, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. He says here, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, far off where? You're without Christ, you're in your sin, you're an alien, right? You don't, you don't know Christ, you were far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our, help me out, peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making what? Peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached, what? Peace to you who were far off, and what? Peace to those who were near. For through him we have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now the emphasis in this passage is how in the person of Christ, through the offering of himself, at the cross, Jews and Gentiles, these two uh, people groups who were at odds against one another, these two people groups who were at enmity with each other are now brought into the same family 
through Christ. See, outside of Christ, the Jews and the Gentiles despised each other. They hated each other. There was a mutual contempt for one another. So to have peace between these culturally diverse groups, not just a tense ceasefire, but peace on the heart level, these very different groups had to have their hearts changed by Jesus Christ. So let's apply that to our understanding here in this text. Paul is talking about the body of Christ, all of us together as individuals. You see it there in Colossians, right? You were called in one body, one body. There's not the group that likes it this way and the group that likes it this way. What does he say? We've been called together as one body. He mentioned it also before in verse number 11. He's telling us how we are to love one another and, how, and that way of love shows itself practically is that you end up having peace with one another. And that all happens within the relationships in the body of Christ. And so if you know Christ and have experienced his peace, that same peace that you have with God that comes from trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord is the basis of peace with other believers. In other words... True conversion that brings peace with God is the basis for peaceful relationships on the heart level with others. Even with others who are very different than you are, even with others who don't see things the same way that you see them, even with other believers who come from different backgrounds than you do. You see, that's not the basis of our fellowship. The basis of our fellowship is always found in and through the gospel. Not what we like, not what we dislike, not the way we grew up, but always foundational in and through the gospel. You see, outward peace is only superficial if your heart is not right with God. So now that we know what this peace is, Christ is, let's see how that is supposed to be practical in our hearts and ultimately within the body of Christ. So here's the second thing. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The command here is that it, it is this peace of Christ that is to rule your hearts. I want to help you understand this, and let me give you something of what Paul is not talking about here in this verse. Believe it or not, this verse is probably one of the most misused verses in the Bible. I've heard pastors and people who write Christian books and blogs take this verse and rip it right out of its context to say, oh, well, I have peace in my heart. You know, that verse over there, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in my heart about this situation. So I have peace in my heart about it, okay? Paul is not talking about finding God's will in this verse, okay? What is the context? Talking about having peaceful relationships within the body of Christ. Um, and not to say that we can't have peace in our hearts when trying to determine God's will for our lives. Uh, Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13. He says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and he says, even though there was a, a door that was opened for me to preach there, 
He says, uh, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So he took leave and went on to Macedonia. And so Paul, even in his own spirit, was like, yeah, even though I can do this, uh, Titus isn't here with me, and so I just don't feel at ease with this, and so I'm going to move on. But Paul is not talking about the will of God here uh, with this peace. And uh, so Paul here, he's telling us that we have been called into one body and we should have these love and peaceful relationships within the body of Christ. That's what we should be seeking after uh, in our lives. So as we look at this, he tells us, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And so the peace he's talking about isn't primarily an inner subjective peace, but rather the objective peace which Christ secured at the cross. And this all really comes back to the gospel, does it not? He broke down the hostile barrier between us and God, but also the gospel broke the hostile barrier between groups of people such as Jews and Gentiles, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. So if Paul is not talking about this subjective peace, what is he talking about and how do we allow the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts? Well, Paul is talking about how God has treated you and brought peace to you, and that is really what should rule in your hearts. We have to allow the reality of the gospel to dominate our thinking. Let it change how you think. What Christ has done on the cross and how he has worked in your life and how he continues to work in your life through the power of the gospel, let that dominate your thinking. Because of the gospel, we remember that Christ accomplished what we could not do. That Christ displayed to us forgiveness and grace and mercy and love, which we didn't deserve. But he did that. Not because we were worthy of it. Not because God somehow looked down and said, Boy, I tell you what, I see, a, I see a diamond in the rough there. No, we were sinners, guilty of God's judgment. He did it primarily because of his love towards us. And if I know Christ, then I am at peace with God through Christ, and that now should affect my relationships to be at peace with one another through Christ. You see, that way of thinking is to affect our decisions. It is to alter the way we think, live, and interact with others. Notice something interesting about this peace of Christ. Paul says it is to rule in your heart or hearts. Hearts, plural. You, together, all of us, were called into one body to peace and thanksgiving. 
So when we talk about the peace of Christ, that's the peace which comes from Christ's work on the cross, and that is what Paul is urging not only this church at Colossae to do, but also us as a well, to allow this peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. And the result of that is this overflow reaction. That means, Tom, when you allow the peace of Christ to rule and reign in your heart, that you're allowing the gospel to dominate your thinking. That means there's going to be an overflow of that, and it's going to spill out into those people who are in your influence. That means you, Alan, when you allow the peace of Christ to rule in your heart, and you're, you're allowing the gospel to, to be that foundation of how you treat others, it's going to spill over. And think about this, if we're all doing this, church, if we're all part of this, and we're allowing the gospel to dominate our thinking, and we're allowing the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, what is going to be the result in the church? Peaceful relationships. Because we're not allowing our differences, we're not allowing our opinions, we're not allowing everything else to be what is so important. We keep Christ and the gospel the foundation of our lives because that's all we have. In reality, our opinions don't matter, do they? Christ does, the gospel does. And so we got to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our lives. The NIV translation of this verse is actually quite good. They translate that the peace of Christ should rule in the believer's hearts, and he says this, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Wow. And so the appeal, therefore, is that just as God has reconciled them to himself through Jesus and has dealt with the problem of enmity which existed between them, so too should they allow the realities of that peace to overflow from them that they might welcome and receive all who come with the name of Jesus upon them. And so if we know Christ's peace, we know that God accepts us by his grace. Do you accept others because of the grace of God? Or do you only accept them if they agree with you? How do we accept others? Do we have a list of things that they must meet, qualifications that they must meet in order for us to welcome them, that we can show God's grace and peace and mercy and love towards? Do we accept them on the basis of God's grace because the grace of God has been shown to us? This knowledge gives us a disposition of peace. The more the person and work of Christ that dominates our thinking, the greater peace the Christian will have towards others. So how are we to do this? Well, take note of that word rule, rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's an interesting word. It's actually an athletic term. Do I have any guys in here that has maybe been a umpire or a uh, some some form of a a uh, person who makes the calls. Okay, Mark, all right, you, you'll probably get this then, all right? Now, John, he, he works with basketball, uh, 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 coaching basketball. Who makes the final decisions at the games? The ump does. 
He says, this is what is allowed. And when they make a bad call, where do they direct all the attention to? The ump, right? So this athletic term, it, it meant to act as an umpire. In ancient Greece, the umpire presided over the Olympic Games, and he discerned the athlete's qualification to take part in the Games. He determined whether the winner violated any rules during the contest, and he enforced the rules and awarded the prizes. Now let's put this together here. Within our text here, Paul is stressing that the peace of Christ is what we are to allow to making a decision in any given situation. So Paul is saying when you're faced with a potential or real conflict, decide how you act or what you say, not based upon how you feel, not based upon what you think, but based upon what? The peace of Christ. That is to be the determining factor. It's how we work out these difficult relationships in our lives. Because we are now one body in Christ, is what he says. You are called in one body. And because we are one body in Christ, we should strive to preserve that unity, and we do that in how we act. He makes a similar point in Romans 14, 19. Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. You see, you put peace into shoe leather by seeking peace in difficult situations, realizing that we are not called to be individual Christians. We were called to be one body. Who put you into the body of Christ? Did you do it? No, you didn't. He called you into one body. Scripture tells us that the Spirit baptizes all who are called into the one body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And so just as you don't have the choice of picking your natural brothers and sisters, so you too do not have the choice of picking your spiritual brothers and sisters. I grew up with an older brother and a younger sister. My older brother is two years older than me, and he never really wanted to be around me. I can't figure out why. <laughs> but our relationship, we don't have a good relationship, even today. Um, the younger sister were 18 months apart. Uh, growing up, me and my sister, we fought a lot because we were so close in age. But, you know, I didn't have the option to say, well, I don't like you anymore. I'm going to go join a different family. What did I have to learn? I had to learn how to work with my brother and my sister. And the same thing here within the body of Christ. We don't have the option to just choose and say, well, I don't like you anymore. See ya. Bye. We work through the situations that are at hand. Why? Because God has called us to be one body and we're supposed to be establishing peace with one another. And so since God called you and placed you into the one body of Christ, that means as part of the body, you need to be committed to a local church. 
You know, there are no prosthetic limbs in the body of Christ. So what does that mean? That means you don't just choose when you want to be a part and when you don't want to be a part. We're all called into one body. We don't treat the body of Christ as if we were a prosthetic limb. We just take it off and, well, I really don't need it today, but, you know, maybe next week I might need it, and then you put it back on. No, we're all called to serve one another and edify one another. We all take part in this because we're all part of one body. And so it's real important that we understand that. And so since you have been called to peace If in a fit of anger you cut yourself off from another Christian, whether in the church or in your own family, it's like amputating part of your own body. So your words, your attitudes, your nonverbal communication, your actions, whatever you do, must be aimed at peace and biblical unity with the other person. And because we have been raised to a new life with Christ, every believer is to have their heart, their minds oriented towards heaven, right? That's what Paul's been telling us in Colossians 3. Set your minds on things where? Not on things that are on the earth. And when we have our minds oriented in the right direction and we are dwelling upon the gospel and thinking about the gospel, the gospel becomes predominant in our lives and it affects on how we treat others. Everything that characterized our old life, the old self, is to be discarded, and we are to put on the new self, our thoughts and desires, words and deeds, everything that is after the image of Jesus Christ to become our new life, our new identity. He stresses that in verse number 10 in Colossians 3. So is the peace of Christ ruling in your heart individually? Corporately, church, is the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts? Are we allowing that? Now, Paul is going to give us some more of uh, this command here in this verse to finish. Let's take note of here real quickly. Notice how Paul ends this verse. And be thankful. And be thankful. What is it that they are to be thankful for? Seems a little out of place with this whole verse, doesn't it? I mean, he's talking about the peace of Christ. And he's talking about, hey, you need to have peace. And then all of a sudden, oh, and, and be thankful. It's not like he's just like, Oh, 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 by the way, uh, I'd also got to say something here about being thankful. Okay. It doesn't at first fit until you start digging into this a little bit. The word that Paul uses here uh, that is translated thankful in our English Bibles has the foundations of being gracious. In fact, this word is only used one time in this verse in the entirety of the New Testament. Okay, they translated it as thankful. I don't know why they translated thankful, because it seems to make more uh, sense in the context if they would have uh, used the word gracious. And so if we're to read this literally, we could say, and be gracious. Who are we to be gracious to? Towards the brethren. Our peace with others and, and how we show that the peace of Christ is actually ruling in our hearts comes out in how we are gracious towards one another. And that would really seem to make more sense in, uh, with what precedes it, how Paul is defining the relationships within the church. So why does Paul add this after telling us to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts? 
See, Paul was not fooled, and neither is God. Because you know what we do? We say, okay, God, yeah, I'll be at peace with them if they will be at peace with me. God, I am willing, I am, I'll tell you what, I am willing to come halfway, halfway here. I mean, I'm sacrificing an awful, awful lot in this relationship, God. But they got to give me a little something too here to work with. No. He doesn't do that. Does Jesus do that? Sure doesn't. That's why he says, and be gracious. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knowing our hearts, knowing how we act, says, all right, I'm going to pull the plug on all this nonsense, and I'm going to tell you that you need to have the peace of Christ ruling in your heart, and I'm going to give you one more. You better be gracious towards others. That's what he's doing. And so he's trying to help us understand this attitude of graciousness. He's helping to understand that if we really want to have peace ruling in our hearts, it's going to come across in how we actually live that out towards one another. So when you're wronged by a fellow Christian, don't focus on your rights that were violated. Don't gossip to others about what that person did to you, trying to line up people on your side. Don't throw a pity party and adopt a martyr complex. Rather, seek and extend Christ's peace between you and the one who offended you with a gracious heart, as you realize how gracious God was to call you to salvation and to place you in the body of Christ. Being a gracious person focuses on God and his blessings, not on me and my offended rights. Notice in the text that that little word be, right? Paul says be thankful or be gracious. That word does not mean to be something. It means to become something that we were not before. Is that not the power of the gospel? That he's transforming us? You say, Mike, I just can't be gracious to people. Do you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? If you do, then you have, been, you have become a new creature in Christ Jesus, and you can become gracious. Well, how do I do it? Go back to the gospel. Dwell on the gospel. Allow the gospel to become the predominant thing of your thinking. How God treated you. What Christ did to you. And you allow that, you imitate that. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians 5.1? Right? Be imitators of God. Right? So that's what we're called to do. We need to be gracious. The word gracious simply means to be pleasing, agreeable, acceptable to others, beneficent. Are you becoming pleasing and agreeable and acceptable to others? Is that something that's showing up in your life? How does this look in real life when we find it hard to be gracious 
Well, when I remember that God has been gracious towards me, I then also need to remember that God has graciously saved my brother or sister as well. God is at work in their life just as much as he is at work in my life. I don't have a monopoly on salvation, and neither do you. You don't have a monopoly on the Christian life, and neither do I. We're all in the same boat. And so what do we have to do? We have to work together. And when there's water coming in the boat, you know what we do? We don't say, well, you idiot, you get a bigger bucket. And I'll just stand here and watch. No, we work together. Your desire should be for them and you to grow through conflict so that their life and your life would bring more glory to our Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. And when we allow that, when we allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, and we show that by being gracious towards each other, we are really setting a precedent in the body of Christ. And what is that precedent? That the body of Christ matters. Because we're all part of it. And so I encourage you to be allowing the peace of Christ to rule in your heart. Is it ruling in your heart? A book that I would uh, really recommend for you, uh, if you want to learn more about peace and things like that, uh, this is a book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And uh, he talks about how to resolve conflict uh, in your life and do it a biblical way, Christ-centered way. But uh, let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.